Cleveland. General thoughts on the playoffs as a whole. We'll talk about that with Anthony just a bit. I'll just look ahead to the two-minute drill. I watched the Netflix documentary, Redeem Team, which was about the, obviously, the Redeem Team that won the Olympic gold in 2008 after they fell short in Athens in 04. So, talk all about that at the end of the show. If you like what you hear on the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all these sex. Simply search for Just and the Suffering Your Favorite Podcast platform and final episodes there. Feel free your feedback and starting as well. Help me the podcast email going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video version of this conversation with Anthony McCarrens up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. I just want to let everybody know we just be a multiple episode week here because we want to get the baseball stuff out to you as early as possible. So the NFL picks will be coming later in the week in a separate podcast. So look for your NFL picks on Friday morning. But we're going to get it all started here with the opening tip. We're going to talk about what went wrong for the Mets here in October right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. And I think Max Scherzer put it best last night after the Mets lost to the Padres 6 0 or eliminated from the playoffs after a 100 win season. This was a kick in the balls for the Mets fans. Literally, they had the magical 101-win season, the second-most wins in regular season history for the franchise after 1986. And it's all gone in one weekend. All gone in the span of three games where they were complete dumpster fires in two of them. And as somebody who was there in the building for both losses, by the way, I had tickets to game one and game three. That building went dead early because... As soon as the Mets got behind, this what I said from everybody in the building, like, oh, no, they're done. And they didn't little to get anybody back in the games here. He starts out game one here. Max Scherzer, who you brought in, you paid $43 million to pitch that game. And well, it's the one for in Atlanta last weekend. He laid a complete A in that game. I mean, he gets up seven runs in four and third innings, gets up four home runs, Josh Bell hits a two-run homer in the first inning. The building's pretty much dead immediately. The Mets get a couple guys on early against Hugh Darvish. Cannot get anything going here. The offense was bad that game. They simply wasted every opportunity they had. And Hugh Darvish owns the Mets. You had to get him early. It didn't. You sort of saw like, the writing on the wall after the couple of home runs there, especially the third one by... Uh, Jerks and Profar right into the corner there. They went from 3-0 to 6-0. Once that happened, the game was over at that point. 
And a lot of people end up leaving early, which honestly, like, with the prices the Mets were charging for these games. And if you bought them through, I have a 20 game plans. So I was fortunate enough not to have to pay the markup prices here. They would charge you 180 bucks to sit in the upper deck. They're charging you 50 bucks to park a car. You cannot be fan policing here when the Mets give you nothing. And you and you have, you know, weekend plans. You're like, I want to get sit in the park for an hour and a half to get out of here when I'm, this team's giving me nothing. I don't blame anyone who spends that much money and basically says, you know, I'm out, I'm out the door. That's game one. Game two, they do suck you back in a little bit. You get a gutty after Jake at the ground, what might be his last game as a man. If you listen to him after the game on game three, he basically said in no small word, basically like, unless I get like record money, I'm out of here. Is that basically what he told you? He gave you a great effort. He had, he had his struggles early on. He's pumping the fastballs early. Struggles a little bit in the second inning. He has the big strikeout man with Charlie runners on the corners there. The bats break out in this game. The only time the whole series of Mets hit. Francisco Lindor is a home run early. Big two, I got two outs from Brandon Nimmo. P. Alonzo homers. They have the four runs, seventh inning to put the game out of reach, which is very critical here. The bullpen is just, you question Buckshaw Walter on this, but Edwin Diaz came in the seventh, got five big outs. They got the job done. That gets you to last night. Chris Bass on the mound last night. And he's coming off the stinker in Atlanta where he gives you two and two-thirds innings, gets chased very early, and then completes the sweep. He had his struggles early. The Padres kept stepping out of the box on him. They truly took him out of his rhythm. He couldn't respond. He kept walking guys late. Get the, the back-breaking two-run single to Austin Nola early. Gets chased after four innings of four runs. Not great. But once again, the offense was completely inept here. They got one hit in the elimination game at home. Pete Alonso had the single in the fifth inning. One hit. That will never get the job done here. And again, the crowd pretty much out of it early. It was not even a sellout. There was about 2,000 seats less here. And again, it goes back to those prices and the product that's putting out of the field here. You cannot expect these people to get fired up for a team that's done this stuff like this the last month and a half of the season. And right now, you're entering a critical offseason here for the Mets because they have a lot of decisions to make. They have a lot of big free agents. Jacob DeGrom is opting out. You basically told you last night. I mean, you listen to the, to the post-game press conference. All the other free agents. Edwin Diaz says, I want to be back. Chris Bassett wants to be back. Brandon Nimmo wants to be back. Jacob DeGrom basically says, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know yet. Which, you compare that to everybody else, he basically says that he's made up his mind. He wants to leave. And given the situation, the Mets have to make it, make him turn down a lot of money for him to go walk and play somewhere else. And considering what they have going out their rotation here with only Max Scherzer really locked in next year. You have a team option, Carlos Carrasco. Ty Walker's got to opt out of his contract. Chris Bass definitely got opt out of his mutual option to test the market here. The only guys you have locked in next year for sure are Max Scherzer and David Peterson. You cannot do that. You're hoping to contend for the playoffs. Those guys have to figure out here. You have to give Jacob the ground the big offer because, again, Steve Cohen's not going to be happy with what happened in his ballpark, winning 101 games, having a flush down the toilet. So, We'll see here. I think they're going to give a big offer. Whatever he takes, it's up to him. I don't think they're going to be outbid. The Edwin Diaz situation, I think he's got to be brought back for sure. sure. It's going to cost you a lot of money, about $100 million probably to get him back. But consider what this bullpen looked like without him. And you can make the argument he's the most valuable player on this team this year. He's a the 1A to the Grom being re-signed. Chris Bassett, I don't want to overreact to two bad starts down the stretch because, again, you have to look at this big picture-wise. 
he still gave you 16 wins in a very good season. Like, how are you replacing that? Brandon Nimmo, I think, again, like, based off a, a very good center fielder, he had a very good year offensively. He had some big hits in game two of the, of the division series here. It's not a matter of, like, I gave him a certain number because I can worry about how his game ages. I give him $20 million a year. I give him five, hundred things in the max. If somebody wants to top me on it, I can spend the money elsewhere to upgrade my offense because this team needs a lot of help offensively. They have cannot get away with nickel and diming the DH spot they did this year. They have to get rid of James McCann's money because, face it, Alvarez is ready. He's going to be on this team next year. I'd rather roll with Nito and Alvarez than bring McCann back for one more year. Mark had and Escobar are good players. They need to be part-time players. They need to be platoon guys. It's sort of what the idea was of Canada at the beginning of the year. We kept sitting every other game. You get more out of them that way, and I think you need more pop in this lineup. You cannot simply be giving big at-bats to Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff in big spots. Tyler Naquin cannot be starting in right field because Starling Marte gets hurt. And that injury killed them because if Starling Marte doesn't miss a month, I don't think they're playing in this round. I think they win that division. They win that division running away. Back batters here. They need to do that. And don't forget, press the entire bullpen is free agents outside of Drew Smith. So they're going to be a lot of new faces on this team. They have a lot of money already committed to the pot. We will see what happens here. There's a lot of questions going forward here. And it's a very important offseason. The good news is that Steve Collins, they're not going to set their hands. They're not going to just try and just bring it back out for the best. There's going to be some meaningful changes here. But up next, we're going to get into the rest of the playoffs. Talk more about the Mets. Talk about the Yankees. What's going on with them ahead of their series with the Guardians. With Anthony Mc- SNY's Anthony McCarron right after this. All right, we are back here getting ready for the division series baseball playoffs back in swing starting tomorrow. We have the four series Yankees are in, Mets are not anymore. Joining you today, they'll break it all down. The introduced to SNY's baseball coverage. You see him on baseball night in New York throughout the year. Anthony McCarron is here. Anthony, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. I want to get your take before we dive into the local specifically. Like, what did you think of the wild card round in general? Now we got went from the one game do or die to best of three. How do you think it worked? Well, um, if you're going to expand the playoffs, I think it was uh, pretty good because it, it you know the, all the all the uh, the games being at one team at the higher seeds park was a good was I think was a decent advantage. Didn't work out in every series, obviously, um, but this is a little more. Uh, it, it it saves the drama of a, of a quick series. You know, you still get a little bit of that, uh, but but it's not the quick death of a one game playoff, which I, I think is is you know where where one little thing can go wrong and turn the whole game. It, it extends it a little bit, and it's more into the sort of natural flow of a season where they're playing three game series all the time. So I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I thought we had some interesting games for sure, as the postseason always delivers. So yeah, I mean, in, in year one of this new system, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I look forward to seeing you know what what comes now, and and you know maybe in a year or two for for further evaluation. But uh, you know, right now it's okay. It's good. Yeah, I think in terms of time, I think the MLB probably was not happy that this is all on the weekend because considering that ESPN had the coverage, they had a lot of conferences of college football and all that stuff. And on the Met game on Saturday, on three different channels to start the game. So MLB's not right. happy about that. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're probably right about that. But, you know, that, that's, that's the price they pay for not getting the uh, labor stuff done before, uh, you know, to where that had to impact the timing of the season and the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I started the Mets series. I was there. They're the hot story right now. They just lost two out of three of the Padres. The 101-win season basically goes down the drain here. What's your big takeaway from what you saw over the weekend with them? 
Well, uh, you know, it's it's so fresh right now and it's so raw that it's hard to see any of the good that the Mets accomplished this season. Um, so let's push the good aside and go to the way <laughs> that they, they kind of, you know, they really flopped at the end and that was too bad. Uh, you know, I, I never thought that they would get get go down to Atlanta and get swept in that key series. For, and be, even before that, I never thought that they would have such trouble on the, quote, soft part of their schedule you know, where everybody thought that, I mean, me included, I thought that they were going to ice the division in September when they were beating up on all those bad teams or should have been beating up on all those bad teams. And they just, they just didn't get it done there. Then they had another, they had that last ditch chance in Atlanta and they, they, I never thought they'd get swept there. That was stunning, especially with the pitchers that they had going, but it, it, you know, more than stunning, unfortunately for them, it was foreshadowing with what happened in the Padres series when they're, you know, at least one of their, their two of their big three didn't come up with a big performance in the against the Padres, and and they're gone. They were supposed to be the team that made it and scared you and beat you with elite starting pitching, and that was something that failed uh, down the stretch. And you know, their hitting was something. I mean, they they finished tied for fifth in runs per game this year, and yet there were so many times I felt like during the season that we were complaining about their offense. It turns out rightfully so because they came up pretty flat in the end as well. Yeah, I mean, all you need to know is like, I mean, I was there for games one and three, so I saw the first of it. Two things I noticed that this team now stretches like, unlike early year where they were so resilient, I felt like early on, whenever they would like fall behind them, get, get like punched in the face, start pressing and not play their game, they would always like fall apart at that point. And last night in particular, I mean, you can't loot, like, I mean, you can say all you want about Bassett in the bullpen, but you have one hit. You get right. one hit in the in elimination game. You're, that's not getting it done. Right. And, I, you know, credit to Joe Musgrove, who pitched great. Uh, he really stepped up and, and delivered a, a, an incredible performance for San Diego, um, clearly. And uh, but but you're right. And it's funny because the, the series to me went in, you know, like game one, they didn't hit, you know, oh, my goodness, we're worried about the offense again. Game two, they get, you know, their two stars, their best offensive players in Lindor and Alonso hit home runs. And then they grind out a bunch of at bats, walk nine times you know, have a big inning that, that sort of pushes the game, you know, in their favor and kind of out of reach at the end, even though the Padres got the tying run to the plate in the last inning. But, um, you know, and and so that was like the, 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 you know, the picture, it was bad Met offense, good Met offense, and then catastrophically bad Met offense in the finale. Yeah, that's for sure here. I think also, I think also with this series, one thing that I think that stands out also, I feel like is that we talk about at the time about all oh, this trade deadline was bad. This really did set the Mets up to fail, in my opinion, because it's a team that was doing so well. They had a team right on their heels in Atlanta, and then this group was sort of begging for the big investment, and the Mets just chose to upgrade on the margins, which you're playing with fire when you do that, in my opinion. Yes, that is something that is going to be dis much discussed over this winter. They, you know, they claim to want to be the Dodgers, and yet, you know, and, and develop the entire organization and be a player development machine and have the, you know, the elite farm system, you know, and I get it, but they're also a team that has won the world series exactly twice in 60 years of existence. And this was a team. And especially because of the way it's set up going forward with all the key free agents that they have, this was a team where their shot was now they were a win now team. And you could argue that they need they needed to do much much more bullpen, uh, clearly a bat of some consequence, a you know a big time bat, and they did not take a swing in that regard. Now 
look, if the prospects, if, you know, the Mark Vientoses of the world, Brett Beatty, uh, if those guys now turn into stars, you know, then the Mets can at least sort of, uh, I don't know, console themselves with that. But they better be good players because they, the Mets held on to them. They didn't want to pay, pay big for a rental when a rental was something that they probably really could have used uh, in terms of at least a bat. And, you know, they didn't do enough. And that's going to be on Billy Epler. And that's something he's going to have to answer for all offseason as they re- really remake this team. Yeah, I also want to ask you real quick, because you've been around baseball a long time, and the image that's going to stick out of this series is the sixth inning last night when Buckshaw Walter has them check Joe Musgrove's ears, see if he's cheating, and I saw Gary coming after the game, as I was saying, that that was embarrassing with the franchise. You have to be right when you do that. So what do you think how all that unfolded? Well, that was a great, uh, fascinating, and very strong take by Gary. I thought it was uh, pretty on the money, too, uh, to be honest with you. I, I think, look, that you, you look at the way Musgrove was dominating the Mets, and I know the spin rates were up, and he's throwing a little harder. You know, of course, that's connected to a dr- playoff adrenaline, too, uh, in, in some ways. So, look, they had some evidence, you know, and they, and they felt like, and I'm sure that they had minion, Mets minions were looking on uh, <laughs> social media and saw the, you know, all the screenshots of his shiny ears. I get it. And, you know, Buck is trying to win a ball game and he's, you know, he doesn't care if he if he looks silly, if he does it and it doesn't work out. He's trying to do the best for the Mets that he can. And I thought it was interesting that he waited until the sixth inning, uh, you know, because maybe he, you know, maybe he thought that uh, the Mets are eventually going to get to this guy, eventually show some sort of offensive life. And when they didn't, he had one last card to play and that was it. Did it smack of desperation? Yes, absolutely. There's no question that that's an element of it. Uh, he, but, but Buck has every right to do it. Um, you know, does it look great now? No, it doesn't look great. And Joe Musgrove certainly slammed the door on them afterward too. And he gets to squawk all he wants. And so do the Padres afterward. Um, you know, is this uh, going to spoil Buck's legacy? No, Buck, they've got the right guy in the job now. Uh, you know, it's a talking point for sure. Uh, it didn't look great at the time. You know, now the Mets have bigger fish to fry than Joe Musgrove's ears, though. But it was a weird, I thought it was a weird look for Major League Baseball. Showcase game on a showcase night. It was the only baseball game yesterday. And, you know, <laughs> the umpires are reaching up and touching the guy's ears. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there absolutely is here. And right now, they're in a very critical offseason because they have so many free agents, whether it's Edwin Diaz, whether it's half the rotation, Jacob DeGrom opting out, Brandon Nimmo, like, first entire bullpen here. Like, like, what do you think the plan of attack is here, is here for the Mets? Because I feel like there's areas they can do. They could try and move some money around and try and do things here. I don't think Steve Cohen's going to take this loss of sitting, sitting very well. No, and there's all kinds of things that are fascinating coming on the free agent market, including the uh, new American League record holder in home runs uh, from the Yankees, who's going to be on the market after the season, too. That would be something fun if the Mets got involved in that. I have no idea whether they will. It's it's too early to get into that uh, or, or to consider that right now, but I'm, I'm sure they'll do their due diligence and, and, and check out the idea of Aaron Judge moving across town. Um, but they have so many holes. You're right. There, there's a lot. The, the rotation is going to be very different next year, I have a feeling. Jacob deGrom has said all along he's going to opt out. Uh, is he going to be back? I don't know. Uh, you know, does anybody know? It, does Steve Cohen offer him so much money that he can't say no to returning? Or, you know, there's all kinds of speculation that he would prefer to be in a different place because he's a different sort of guy. You know, is Texas a better fit? Is Atlanta a better fit? Those things have been speculated. 
And that's out there for sure. I think DeGrom and getting an idea from DeGrom of whether it's realistic that he comes back to the Mets is something they have to get through quickly in the offseason uh, and find the idea there because then they have to go and really, you know, they'll have money to spend, obviously, and then they're going to have to go and find another elite ace. You know, look, I mean, it, it seemed like a great idea when they signed Scherzer to have the twin aces uh, at the top of the rotation. It'd be nice to have something like that again, you know, but are you going to invest $90 million in two pitchers, which is what it would be if Scherzer, if, the, if DeGrom signed back because he's getting Scherzer money plus and Scherzer makes $43 million a year. You think DeGrom's coming back for 36? No. So, you know, add that into they have to remake the into almost the entire bullpen. Diaz should be a priority. He's going to be the first $100 million closer, I would think, coming off a season like that. Uh, you know, Brandon Nimmo has been a longtime table setter. And you see what I think. Look, I want to say something about Nimmo. One of the great things of the Mets season was the way he made himself into a better center fielder. I know some of the defensive metrics aren't on his side, and I get that, but they, you know, the Mets gave Starling Marte all that money and, and thought they had signed a center fielder. And then they felt like Brandon Nimmo was a better center fielder than their big free agent signing over the offseason. Credit to Nimmo for, for remaking himself into a center fielder, a better one. And, you know, I like what he does, what he does offensively. So, but that's going to be an expensive contract too. So just keeping your guys is going to be big money. And then you have to explore the improvements that we've talked about. They need more offense. Uh, you know, they, there's help out there that they need to get. So it's going to be a crazy wild winter uh, where I think they're going to be involved in a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, I mean, much you can argue Diaz, well, I think the Grom is 1A. And the one thing, before we move on to the Yankee stuff here, I'm curious what you're taking here. So I remember back in spring training, I had the whole press conference like, I want to stay here. I'm going to opt out. It's my right to do that. I feel like as the year's gone on, the answer's gotten more and more vague. The point where last night, when I talked about months of the penny free, bats like, I want to be back. Diaz want to be back. They don't want to be back. The girl says, I want to talk about it. So that's just a sense you, like, in my opinion, they read the tea leaves there. It feels like he wants to leave. And it's sort of like, if he's going to look, he's going to take the overpay for him to stay. Yes, I think it will take an overpay for him to stay. I agree with that uh, 100%. Now, uh, you know, I know he's said in the past that he likes the idea of being with one team for his entire career, but that could just be rhetoric and narrative, you know, because it does sound cool and it doesn't happen that much, uh, you know, as much as it certainly did years and years ago. So, you know, is he ready for a change? Yeah, he grew up in this organization. He became the best pitcher on the planet in this organization, but that doesn't mean he has to stay. And, you know, there's also another thing. There's another element here too. He didn't pitch great at the end of the year. You know, he was good in game two and he gave them what they needed in game two, but he wasn't tremendous. He wasn't dominant at the end of the year. He's had so many physical problems that you have to sort of say that it's, you know, it's no longer a slam dunk of a contract to give him a four year deal, say to come back and get into his mid to late thirties as a Met for a big number, because you don't know how, how long he's going to be pitching. You don't know how, I mean, he even said it, he kept, he's kept saying it along the way here. I wasn't here for half for, for a lot of this year, you know, but when we, when I was here, we had a great, uh, you know, rapport, great squad, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But he's right. I mean, that sort of stands out to me. He wasn't here. He, it, he didn't pitch for an entire year. And now you have to wonder if you can invest 45 million or so in him over a, a few years. Is that going to be something the Mets are going to want to do? Or do they have to do it because it's Jacob deGrom, they need the star pitching, and there really is no choice. It's, yeah, a great, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating discussion down the line. Some of the teams actually in the playoffs on the Yorks of the Yankees, and they had the buy the DS, and 
They get the Guardians coming in here off that 15-inning win on, on uh, Tuesday. Obviously, they played a couple times in the regular season. Guardians beat them in Cleveland in July. Yankees beat them in New York earlier in the year here. What about how these teams match up? I, I mean, I think the Yankees are clearly better. I, you know, I think they should win the series. Um, and, you know, their, I think their power and their, their offensive potential, you know, that doesn't always – doesn't always play out, but their offensive potential is much greater than what what Cleveland can do. Uh, you know, the Guardians have a very good pitching staff. Uh, they've got some real strikeout artists in the bullpen. Uh, they've got some really top end starting pitching in Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber. Uh, Cal Quantrill is going to start game one, it sounds like, uh, which should be interesting. And, you know, so can they get a, you know, can they quiet down the Yankee bats? Can they keep Aaron Judge off the board? Um, you know, his supporting cast hasn't always been so great this year. Um, they've got, you know, a couple of 30 homer guys in Stanton and Rizzo, but you know, they haven't, they, they've had such a strange year, the Yankees, because, you know, months ago we were talking about them. Is this team better than 98? Is this team better than 61? Is it better than 27? And of course that all crumbled and injuries were a big part of that. Uh, you know, but they, you know, they haven't gotten a lot of production from some guys too. Uh, some places in their lineup. So, you know, there's questions about the Yankees, but I do think that they're clearly better than Cleveland and they should win this series, um, you know, but it's, is it going to be the same old thing where if the Yankees don't hit home runs, they're going to, you know, they're going to get flattened because they haven't been able to hit with runners in scoring position in the, uh, in the postseason in recent years. And, and I know a lot of fans have blamed that for, uh, for their exits. Yeah. I think obviously I think the big, I think one of the big guys here is on a big pressure here. I think Garrett Cole, that's the wild card game last year. He cannot deliver a stinker in game one against the lineup. It's not nearly as good as the one he faced in Boston last year. Now he's home. He's got a supposedly an edge in the pitching matchup with the Indians third with the Guardians third best starter on the mound here. I mean, if Garrett Cole doesn't deliver here, he's gonna get a lot of heat from the Yankees. Almost as much as like mascot on Saturday from the Met fans. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And he would deserve it too, because he was look, he's let's he was brought here to be the game one ace. And has he always looked that like that? No, he hasn't. He actually pitched great against Cleveland in uh in twenty twenty. Uh, in the wild card, I think he had 13 strikeouts in seven innings and and shut them down pretty well. But look, I mean, he has not delivered uh, on that contract in the way that maybe. Yeah, I know he's got the Yankee strikeout record. I know he's you know been dominant many times, but he's also come up small in some big starts. You know, the the Red Sox, you know, can't seem to <laughs> he can't seem to beat them, and and his performance last year in the wild card game will never be forgotten by Yankee fans, no matter what he does. I think. And this is a big start for him coming up in game one. And he's, he, he really has to deliver. And I wonder about the psychic uh, punch that, that, that would deliver the Yankees if it's 4 nothing in the second inning and they're down and Garrett Cole is being booed off the mound. I wonder what sort of lingering effect that might have. The other big question of the Yankees this series, obviously their bullpen is a mess because all the injuries they've had, the whole bizarre role, this Chapman thing where he was basically skipped the bullpen, that's why he's told to stay away. He's never going to pitch them again, it looks like here, like, who is the getting outs in that bullpen, in your opinion, the big outs? Well, it's a great question, and I'm sure that Aaron Boone is somewhere right now with his lieutenants struggling over that, <laughs> that very idea as well. You know, I love uh, Jonathan Lewisaga's stuff. I know he didn't really have a great year for them. Uh, he had, he's had some, uh, he's had, had some moments, but he's really pretty nasty. I wonder if he can rise to the occasion here. Um, the Yankees have also, and credit to them, they've done a good job of finding other guys too. As as all these injuries mounted, you know, Michael King was tremendous for them, and he's hurt. Uh, Chad Green is out. You know, they were hoping to get Zach Britton back, and he was he was back for like a moment, 
and then got and, and then injuries struck again, you know, so, but they have filled in and had a really good bullpen for most of the year. I know there were some struggles. Clay Holmes is back now. Is he going to be Clay Holmes, who was the all-star, or is he going to be Clay Holmes, who was the guy who you couldn't fathom that he couldn't get out and, and couldn't throw strikes the way he had? So there are questions swirling. Uh, to me, Loisic is a big guy. You know, Lutrevino's gotten some outs. Efros has been pretty good for them, too. Um, they do have some choices there. Uh, it's going to play out big in the in the postseason too, because you know they've they've loved to move their bullpen pieces around and use and, and rely on them. So we'll see how that develops. Absolutely. Here you mentioned the lineup here. I mean, obviously they have a lot of ways to stat. Obviously now that Matt Carr is probably going to be back for this series, he's going to be in the and he was a big part of their offense. They really struggled when he went down. So like, who do you think is going to be the guys who get the short end of the stick? Who do you think it's going to be the guys mostly coming off the bench in this in this series for them? Who's going to I'm say it again? I'm sorry. Who's he coming off the bench if you're assuming Carter goes right back in the lineup? Oh, wow. Uh, coming off the bench. You know, I, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I, I'm, I don't even I'm, I'm trying to think of who it would even be or what they would use the bench for, um, you know, other than to pinch it, I guess, for the catcher and, 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 and move it around. I mean, look, they, they have a pretty set lineup in terms of, you know, the, they're going to rely on the LeMay Hughes of the world and Glaber Torres, who's had a bit of a renaissance uh, toward the end of the season after I thought his Yankee career was headed toward an end. Um, you know, this offseason, he's been playing better. Um, look, they've got a lot They've got a lot of potential offensively, but they just have to get it done. I mean, Josh Donaldson hasn't given them much on offense. You know, he's had some big hits, yes, but he's not, obviously, he's not the player that he used to be. Uh, LeMahieu's toe is an issue, and we'll see what he, he'll be able to deliver for them. I mean, look, Giancarlo Stanton can wreck a playoff series uh, by himself. We've seen him have an enormous, as much as Yankee fans have, have sort of been hard on him, you know, for some of his strikeouts in the postseason early in his Yankee career, he's also had some in, incredibly big hits for them in October. Uh, I, I wonder if he can repeat that. Aaron Judge is in a zone, is, is in a year-long zone, except maybe when he was trying to get 62. <laughs> uh, you know, so he's, he's obviously an enormous weapon for them. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, you know, the power is there and, it, and the, the swing is nice for the for the short porch and all that sort of stuff. I, I think they're going to score runs. But, you know, uh, I mean, the, the the Guardians have a really good pitching staff, too. Yeah, it's fascinating to see this. We're going to real, real quick on the other two series here. The other AL series, the Yankees, again, they win here. Houston, Seattle, what do you think about that matchup? Well, Seattle's a great story. I wonder if they got their, you know, if they had their moment by uh, by, by wrecking the Blue Jays. Um and, you know, now they get home playoff games uh, against Houston and it's everybody can be happy that the longest drought in Major League Baseball, 21 years oh, is over, playoff drought. Uh, but then but they're just going to be cannon fodder for the Astros, uh, probably. I, you know, Houston is wildly talented, as we all know. They've lost guys and they've still been able to have really great teams going forward after losing incredible talent uh, like Garrett Cole. Um, so. Uh, I, I really think Houston is going to win that. I, you know, look, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we're going to get the Yankees, uh, Astros, ALCS that we all want and deserve. To be quite honest, because that's great theater for so many different reasons. So I think the Astros will take care of of Seattle. Seattle's day may be coming, you know, a, a season or two from now. I don't know if it's if it's right now, even though everybody there is very happy and and uh, uh, you know they've got some really good young players. Yeah, let's get to the other series. The one the Met fans probably hate watching is the Braves Phillies series here. And I know the Braves, I and mean, they look at the wind tolls. They all these teams are 
Like, but you watch them play throughout the year. The Phillies gave the Braves problems. How do you think this series goes? Uh, it's a great question. The Phillies, you know, the Phillies are, are sort of, now that they've arrived and they've done some damage in the playoffs, I think you have to reassess them and think that there's some potential here. They've got a lot of power. Power plays in the playoffs. Uh, if you out-homer your opponents in the playoffs, you basically win. You know, I think the stat is last year in games that teams out-homered their opponents, they were 25-2. and two. That's a pretty good record. The Phillies can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They also have two ace-level pitchers in Nola and Wheeler. So they may be a little more formidable than we thought when they were getting them their act together during the season, you know, firing Joe Girardi as manager. Rob Thompson takes over, does a great job. And, you know, a matchup against the Braves may not be the worst thing for them. The Braves are just so good, uh, and they've played so well for so long. And Ronald Acuna is not really playing – like, he's not really putting up great numbers or anything. And they're still – you know, they're still so good. Um, I think the Braves have a lot left in the tank. Um, I think they're going to advance to play the Dodgers uh, in the NLCS. I know that's chalk, 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 but uh, it, it's, you know <laughs> – those are two really, really good teams. Uh, you know, the Phillies might give them a tussle, though. I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a game where they, they win 10-2 to 2 and everybody is like, whoa, Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely here. And you mentioned the Dodgers getting through here. But who is your World Series pick as of right now? Well, I've been hard on the Dodgers the entire year uh, that they're going to win. I, I, they, they have so many ways to beat you. They're so talented. I just... You know, it doesn't always work out that way, obviously, that the, that the best team wins the World Series. Uh, and, and look, I know they won 111 games during the season, and we've seen teams that have won that many or more lose in the, in the postseason. It's almost unfathomable to, to me that the Dodgers don't win the World Series, though. They've got, they've got it all. Uh, they're incredibly deep, and they just are relentless uh, pitching-wise and hitting. Uh, I, they're, they're my pick right now. All right, so Anthony, pick the Dodgers to win. Anthony, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow social media. Keep up with your uh, coverage for SNY. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony McCarron, or uh, I'm on the SNY website uh, as well. I'll be writing about the Yankees during the postseason, and um, you can also uh, check me out on uh, on SNY. I'll be going on uh, some of the shows as well. Absolutely. I'll be definitely watching BNY. Even though my Mets are out, I'll be keeping on the rest of the postseason. <laughs> Anthony, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. You bet, Mike. Thanks for having me. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. We talk about the new Netflix documentary, The Redeem Team, focused on the 2008 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team. And obviously, if you were alive at that point or you were just a marginal basketball fan, you know the backstory of that team. So a lot of you might be asking, why should I watch this documentary? What am I going to learn from this? They actually do a very good job with this documentary. They spend about a half hour of the 90 minutes setting the stage of why that team is so important, including, you know, revisiting that 04 team, a circumstance of that group that lost to Argentina in the Olympic semifinals. We learn about that mismatched roster between the vets of the team, like Allen Iverson and Tim Duncan, Stevon Marbury, along with the younger guys, the young LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, rest of felt that roster because a lot of the stars said no, and a lot of it comes down to you no. Know, a lot of guys that played for the Olympic team in 96 and 2000 and said, you know, I don't need to do it again. There are security concerns, which you forgot about the war in Iraq and how the anti-American sentiment around the world was. Because of all that, the U.S. team really sort of had to 
be mercenaries and sort of just show up to the Olympic Games. They had to stay on a cruise ship outside of Athens due to security concerns the Olympic Village. We sort of took them out of the experience, and that sort of mishmash, the way of coaching Larry Brown, really ended that team. The documentary does a good job getting interviews with a lot of the key players. Obviously, LeBron and Wade are in this because it's LeBron's production company. Carmelo's in it. Coach K is in it. They get, he actually gets a good uh, uh, archival audio from Kobe Bryant, who, remember, passed away tragically a few years ago in the helicopter accident. They had, in Olympics, actually had an interview with him in 2015 where they had him and LeBron talk about the 08 game, so they got footage from that, which is very great. Coach K stuff is great as well. You see a lot of excellent behind-the-scenes stuff with him, working to motivate the squad and all that stuff, seeing these meetings when they're in Vegas getting ready for practices and camps. One that really caught my attention was when he brings in the U.S. soldiers to talk to the team about what it's like to be playing for Team USA, and the one soldier who was blind because he was hit by shrapnel in both of his eyes and how inspirational he was to the team. There's a great behind-the-scenes footage of him on a headset talking to Wayne Wade during practice about that. That's pretty cool. The big thing I think that sets this apart to me is the way they use Kobe Bryant's footage, which was huge. And the headlining story here, the one that made the trailer, really got very excited for this, was prior to their pool game against Spain in the 08 Olympics, how he basically went and told everybody how he was going to go and first play the game, run run through a screen and knock Pagasol off the ground. And Pagasol was one of Spain's best players. He was also Kobe's teammate with the Lakers at the time. That set the tone for everybody. And you see all the reactions of the teammates basically going like, oh my God, he did this. We're not losing. Like, fantastic stuff. That sequence is by far the best of the documentary. And the reactions do a great job for it. I also thought it was an interesting use of the behind-the-scenes footage here was we saw footage of the Redeem team members going to other Olympic events in Beijing, whether it was the Michael Phelps things, whether it was the gymnastics, Usain Bolt. And it's a big contrast to that 04 team, which, you know, again, stuck on the cruise ship, couldn't really do much outside, you know, go to practice, go to games. They couldn't participate in that Olympic experience as much as the other guys could. And Coach K talked about how he encouraged us and basically said that seeing other great athletes was a motivator for his team to be great themselves. I thought that was very cool. All told, I think this is a very enjoyable documentary. I think you do learn a bit that you didn't know about, and it is very fun. The 90 minutes does fly by. You will not regret checking it out again. The Redeem team on Netflix, definitely a good recommendation for me. With that, I want to end this week's first show. I want to thank Anthony McCarran from SNY for coming on here, helping me preview the playoffs, sort of had them at funeral, all that good stuff there. I'm going to start like this podcast, including my look at how important the game, this season is right now for the Jets. They had a must-win game on Sunday. They did win it. I laid out why it was important before the game. Check out the blog over just on the suffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. Episode 5 of Andor, our recap, is out now. Episode 6 coming later this week. It's going to be recorded a little later in the week. It's going to be probably out on Saturday in the Sky Guys feed. It'll be out early next week in Just on the Suffering. So if you don't want to wait, subscribe to the Sky Guys feed, all the podcasts by where I mentioned at the top of the show. So follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's first show. Coming up later this week, coming up Friday morning, here to do some Week 6 NFL picks. I'll give you my update on the Yankees, the first two playoff games that's going on there, and more. So we have a better week than Mets fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.